0: All right, I am so excited for you all to listen to this episode of Forward Thinking Founders. Before we get started, I just wanted to let you know that we are officially starting an email list as we have some big plans for the podcast and we'll be telling people on the email list first and probably only the people on the email list. So feel free to sign up and get on the email list at F20R.com, that's F as in Frank, Two zero R as in red, dot com, and I'll see you over there. All right, how is it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we're talking to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Mark Lutter, who is the creator of the Charter Cities Institute. Mark, welcome to the show. How's it going?
1: Good. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming on. I remember when I first kind of came across what you were working on, my mind was blown. This seems like a whole, a whole another world that that I knew nothing about until you know a few weeks ago, and now I get to talk to you know one of the foremost experts. So I'm very excited. Um, kind of to start, can we just uh, can can we can you dive into what your company? Does and then kind of after that give it a little bit of an idea of of to start off like what's a charter city? Then we can kind of go into different realms from there.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I founded the Charter Cities Institute about two years ago, um, and we're a nonprofit. And what we are doing is building the ecosystem for charter cities. And so this has two parts. First, what is a charter city? A charter city is a new city development with a special jurisdiction that allows it to adopt a more competitive business environment. And so the problem this is trying to solve are, there's two major problems. Um, First is basically poor governance and global poverty. So, right, a lot of the world lives in countries that have very, uh, a lot of red tape, strong regulations that make it very difficult to start businesses to create wealth. Um, And then the second aspect is, and so this keeps uh, a lot of people poor. There's currently just under a billion people living on less than a dollar a day and the majority of the world's population lives on less than $10 a day. And the other thing that this is trying to solve is urbanization. So there's ever over 70 million new urban residents annually. They're primarily concentrated in Africa and Asia. And so the idea is, as we saw in the second half of the 21st century, some of the most successful cities, Singapore, Hong Kong, Shenzhen, Dubai, all had governments that had a little bit more authority than um that was delegated from the national government so singapore was a country right a city-state hong kong um was uh, a colony of great britain and then it was part of china two systems uh, one country um, shenzhen had a special economic zone that was reasonably expansive they had their own labor law their own um, uh, tax system their own uh, uh land uh, they, they created the first land market in china And then Dubai is uh, its not fully a city-state, but it's basically a city-state part of the UAE. And so what they had is that they had these business environments that were one, conducive to investment, job creation, economic development, and they had the flexibility to change, um, to, to respond to changing conditions and demands on the ground. So we at the Charter Cities Institute see this as a model that can be applied in emerging markets that are rapidly urbanizing, that have relatively poor governance. And so the question we ask is, okay, lots of people are moving to new cities. There are some master plan cities being built today, about 120 around the world. Can we um, work with these master plan cities? Can we help start new master plan cities to em- right, create this legal framework, this governance framework that allows for more investment, more job creation, more economic development? Um, so the World Bank, right, they have a doing business index that's generally seen as a good proxy for, um, how good a go- governing system is. In Sub-Saharan Africa, for example, it takes on average about 46% of per capita income just to legally register a business. So that's what a charter city is, right? It's a new city with a special jurisdiction that allows it um, a more competitive business environment. What do we do is we're building the ecosystem for charter cities. So a brief history of this space. 10 years ago, Paul Romer did a TED Talk on charter cities. It got a lot of attention. He went to Madagascar and then he went to Honduras. Neither project was successful, um, and then he stopped talking about it publicly, and there was all the momentum died, except for this small pocket of largely techno libertarians out in um, San Francisco, sort of affiliated with the Seasteading Institute. But there were a number of um, uh, projects on on land that fit in that vein. Uh, unfortunately, none of those projects were successful. And so what we saw is that there were a lot of learnings to be had, but there was no general conversation being had. And we wanted to reach out to these other potential partners, including new city developers, the people building new cities, governments, um, investors, uh, policy experts, to really create this general momentum that will not make charter cities dependent on single people and single places. And so what we're trying to do is basically affect social change by getting this powerful idea out there to inspire people to if they're building a city to think about governance reforms, or maybe to think about the possibility of building um, new cities, charter cities that have these better legal frameworks to accelerate economic development. And what we've realized in doing this is that there's also a demand for specifically some of these governance services. So thinking like, okay, what does it actually mean to create a legal system from scratch? Right. How do you create a property registry, business registry? How do you create labor law? How do you make that flexible to ensure with changing conditions, you can respond to them to make sure that right, labor standards exist and are enforced, but still flexible enough to create employment and generate um, productivity increases? And so what we've begun doing a little bit more recently is uh, a project we're working on this year and hope to release next year is a Charter Cities Handbook, looking at all of the different potential reform areas, looking at the benchmarks for best practices, how to implement them, how to integrate with them with the latest technology. So, right, we're, we're building the ecosystem for charter cities, getting all these different stakeholders engaged involved, and then we're, we've started to basically provide some of these more specific governance services and thinking about how to create these ecosystems from scratch.
0: Okay, so I have so many questions, so many ways that we can dive in, but before we do all of that, I'm really intrigued to hear, how did you get into this? Where where does your interest lie in regards to charter cities? And I'd love to hear just a little bit of the, the origin story for the, the institute.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I got involved, interested in charter cities about 10 years ago. I heard a talk and in it, um, there is a guy whose name is Michael van Naaten. He's a Dutch lawyer who married into a Somali clan and tried to build basically a charter city in Somalia. Um, Fun fact, it was a free port, right? A port that has a different legal system. Now there's two free ports in Somalia, one in Somaliland, the other in, I believe, Berbera, um, which I think is regular Somali, uh, I don't remember. Um, So that sort of got me down the rabbit hole. Um, There was a small community of interested parties, um, these these techno-libertarians who are really enthralled with the big ideas of, right, how do you create these new governing systems? How do you make them more conducive to economic development? Um, I went to grad school, I did a PhD in economics at George Mason University. Um, my dissertation was on charter cities during the PhD, I went to live in Honduras for six months. Honduras has um, and had charter cities legislation on the books, so I was hoping to get closer to the action, but unfortunately, uh, they weren't exactly moving very quickly, so I came back to finish my dissertation. Afterwards, I worked a year at an asset management firm that was investing in charter cities. But what I saw was that um, it was going um, to Honduras and it was uh, a little bit of too many eggs in one basket. So I thought, okay, how can we engage these other groups, these other interested parties? I had two two new city developers reach out to me because of my writings online. So one based in Kazakhstan and one based in Zambia. And I realized that it was a viable strategy that there were these stakeholders that were interested in charter cities I didn't really have the full vision fleshed out. And by writing about it, you could attract them, you could start talking to them, you could work with them, and really right, turn this into a, a social movement. So this can be seen as, right, like, there's this like, social movement aspect to it. If you think about particularly ideologies, like communism, like libertarianism, et cetera, that spread as social movements where people get interested in the ideas and try to affect change. And so charter cities has an element of that. right? You're trying to think about a different way to create a social order that leads to human flourishing and prosperity. In addition to that, it has this like very business element that new cities need to make money, they need to repay the investments, and so because of that, it has this right like function where it, in one hand, acts like a business, but in another hand, acts as this mechanism of social change. And what we thought was that right, like by helping to right, get all of these interested stakeholders together, by helping them share best practices, really see that there's a movement, it could inspire more people to start acting, and the most effective mechanism to help right, start a bunch of charter cities was more as a nonprofit trying to begin by affecting social change that would put all your eggs in one basket, that would get multiple projects started, um, that would develop the, the, the set of best practices that um, um, uh, I started. And since then it's been, I think, reasonably successful. We've had a lot of a lot more traction on the ground than I would have thought if you asked me two years ago. Um, we're currently engaged with four new city developments in um, three countries, and we have a handful more on the pipeline.
0: So, that's awesome. I uh, I like that you. This isn't just like an idea that you got one day. Like, oh, charter cities are cool. Let's let's do something. I, this is kind of this is it's been building up to this, which I really like. Which with you're you're like an expert in the field, which is fantastic. I think the the way I want to tackle this topic is I want to talk about the creation of one and 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 the steps that happen in order to actually have, have a charter city and i think i think we might go into you know a couple of questions along the way so to start uh, the, the the reason to do a charter city makes sense but how does like what is a good area of land that would make like a a good good, good area for a charter city like how, how do people identify um, areas that would be good to build a charter city?
1: So sure. So there's basically two steps, two, two paths to trying to do, a it doesn't have to be a charter city per se, but just a new city. So first you could do a satellite city. So a satellite city is, right, you build in the growth path of an existing city. Why is that good? It's good because you cut down on infrastructure costs. You can piggyback off the infrastructure of the airport, off the infrastructure of the port, the roads, the railway, whatever it is. And infrastructure tends to be very capital intensive, so it's cheaper because of that. The flip side is it's much more difficult to acquire a large amount of land because the land is more expensive because you're closer to the city. Um, The second mechanism you could do is to do a a new city in the middle of nowhere. There, the advantage is land is relatively cheap. The disadvantage is the infrastructure costs are much higher. So you have to build your own port. You have to build your own airport. You have to um, probably build roads to the nearest population center. It's harder to get people to move because right? When you start, there is nothing there. So if you're in an existing population center, it's easier to get people to move because there is a labor market. If you're in a new in a, in a new city, then it's much more difficult. Um, the, the advantage is you can scale up much bigger because you can acquire much larger chunks of land. So that's the first step is basically land acquisition. And those are the two stages for the process. In addition to land acquisition, you want to talk with the government and figure out what uh, type of um, right, legal framework is politically possible in that country. And so you could go at the administrative level, which a lot of countries have special economic zone laws and see if it's possible to apply the special economic zone law and maybe tweak it a little bit to make your, your city a better place to do business. The other option is to get legislative buy-in, which is more politically challenging, but allows for a deeper set of reforms and a more competitive business environment than just administrative action would typically allow. And this right requires building our relationships with the legislators, with the government, having a debate um, that hopefully ends with this uh, law that says, OK, within this area, you have this separate set of legal requirements that can make it a much more um, competitive place to do business. And so right, those are the two key aspects. You need the land and you need the, 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 the political buy-in and the laws. So after you get those, then it's right like sort of implementation. What does that look like? With regards to land, what it looks like is basically figuring out right, what infrastructure do you need, um, building those roads to increase connectivity, building the port if it's a new city, building an airport, um, and then it requires thinking about what is that anchor tenant, Who, what are the first businesses and companies to move there. Um, so typically what we recommend is right, find existing industries in the country, and then if there's in, still demand for those industries, just build that industry. So the country has a lot of textile plants then build another textile plant. Um, If all the demand for that is tapped out, then what you do is you move one value up the supply chain. So in a lot of African countries, right, they export their good. And so that good is, let's say it's a natural, let's say it's palm oil or maybe it's copper. And so what you do is you think, okay, let's go one step up the value chain. So typically they'll extract the resource and send it somewhere else for processing. But all right, let's do the processing there And the advantage of that is it's relatively highly labor-intensive, so you create a lot of jobs, which gives you some political protection from the risk of expropriation. And then after you create that anchor tenant, and create the first 1,000 jobs or so, right? Then you start selling off the land piecemeal. Somebody wants to build a supermarket, somebody wants to build a movie theater, somebody wants to build a restaurant, et cetera, et cetera, residential. And, and right, once you get that critical mass, then it can grow organically like a city. So what you want to do is set the parameters, right? Like, here are the major piece of infrastructure, here are the roads. Get the first thousand people live there, and after that it can grow organically. The second aspect is um, right, that's the infrastructure and governance. So assuming you get political buy-in, what you have to do is basically create this new city government. So the city government would have a lot of authority that's typically delegated to the national government, but in this instance is delegated to the city. So this would be things like creating an education system. It would be things like um, creating labor law, creating a business registry, creating a property registry. And making these things very easy to do to attract the businesses that would then create the wealth in the city.
0: Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. It, it, it's so fascinating to just hear literally just this is how cities are built. Like that's, that's, that's insane. I kind of want to focus in on the kind of the economy of, of one of these new cities, uh, one of these charter cities you you kind of covered it um, just now, but I want to dive a little deeper. How I, I guess is let's actually ask like a specific question. If you want to start a company, is it the it, let's say you know a a company for uh, let's say you want to like what's an example? I don't know. You want to repair houses, for example, just hypothetically. Is doing that in a charter city a really good idea because it's so new and it's like ripe for innovation? Is it bad because like it's like not fully popular? Like, how do you think about entrepreneurship within these cities? And not just entrepreneurship, but just like an economy. Like how does the economy get going and how does it grow um when when a city is just being birthed?
1: Sure. So with regards to let me answer the second question first. So like how to think about the economy is is thinking about right, like the city produces a lot of things, but it's you want to plug into the regional economy. Sometimes you don't, sometimes you just might want to, like, right, Dubai doesn't really plug into the regional economy except with finance. Um, But generally, you want to be part of this broader value chain. Why? For two reasons. One, it insulates you um, from political risk a little bit, in that if you're trading with everybody in the region, if you get hurt, they get hurt, and that allows for a little bit more political leverage to reduce the risk that the government comes and, and, and expropriates you or, or limits that um, special jurisdiction. And so then, then, then second is just that within the local economy, it becomes a little bit easier to scale. So if you look at, for example, how most East of East Asia began, uh, became rich, right, they work their way up the value chain. So you start at something like textile manufacturing. So you make t-shirts, right? It's pretty simple, it's pretty easy, it's labor intensive. Then you go to maybe shoes, it's a little bit more difficult. Then after shoes, you go to bike parts, and then bikes, and then car parts, and then cars, and then electronics, um, and then airplanes, and uh, like microprocessors, really at the top of the value chain. And so thinking about, right, how do you scale this up is what is going on in the existing economy, right? Plug into that. Um, so maybe one step up the, the value chain to start creating some, because a lot of um, Africa, for example, there's not much industrial capacity going on. So start looking at the natural resources, thinking about how you can add industrial capacity to value add those natural resources that is typically being done maybe in South Africa, or maybe in Europe, or maybe in China, right? And, And then you start there, and then what happens is you create these clusters, right? The technical economics term is called agglomeration effects. So you create these clusters. So then let's say it's palm oil. You have a bunch of people who are really skilled in palm oil manufacturing. So then you see some people say, okay, here's a business opportunity. We've got all this palm oil, we're doing the early processing, Maybe I'm going to create an artisan shop that's going to make this palm oil like a little bit fancier, put it in glass bottles, and sell it to the European market. Maybe somebody says, okay, I'm going to like take this palm oil, I'm going to uh, mix it with something else, and then sell it to the American market, right? And you get all of these spin-off industries that because you have the talent, because you have the 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 concentration there, people start becoming better at that. And then as 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 a city grows, maybe you think, okay, now we're good at palm oil manufacturing. Maybe we also add. Uh, copper manufacturing or copper processing. Maybe you add um, textile manufacturing, right? You figure out whatever it is that value chain to the the global economy and and you work your way in there and and you scale up. And the second question you asked was how to think about entrepreneurship. And so this, this is sort of twofold. It's one, like if you have an existing business in the city, does it make sense or in the country, does it make sense to relocate to the charter city? The answer is maybe, but probably not. Right. Like if you have an existing business and you have already handled a lot of the regulations, maybe you want to move to the charter city for lower taxes or better service provision. Like in, in a lot of emerging markets, power is not reliable. So right. Like charter city has reliable electricity. So maybe you want to move there because of that. But really, a lot of the growth opportunity is these new jobs, these new opportunities that come. So, right. If you look at emerging markets, there's actually higher rates of entrepreneurship in emerging markets than in the U.S. Why? It's because a lot of like the people who are selling fruit by the, state, by the side of the road, they are entrepreneurs, but they're unable to scale. Um, and so a lot of times they're unable to scale because the businesses aren't, they're, they're in the informal sector. So they might be able to hire two other people to do, right, like hire, have banana stands or whatever it is, but you can't get 10, you can't get 50. So the really good entrepreneurs are trapped in this informal sector, at least a percentage of really good entrepreneurs are trapped in the informal sector. And so what the charter city would allow is, right, these entrepreneurs, maybe it starts off with there being like 500 fruit stands in the city, but there's four entrepreneurs who are really good, who end up buying up all the competition and become much more efficient, and they're happy because they make more money. the The previous food, fruit stand provider are happy because now they have much more reliable incomes that aren't subject to this like day to day variation based on whether people buy their fruit, and, and the, the economy I- improves in efficiency. So I think the biggest, right, like you, you, the biggest value add will come from these people who were previously relegated to the informal sector who are able to unleash their entrepreneurial talents because the barrier to joining the formal sector has been so so, so greatly lowered.
0: Yeah, that, uh, that, that all, make, all makes sense for sure. Um, Something I, mean, I want to kind of shift to is, is news of, uh, that, that actually happened today um, that is, I think, in this realm. You might you – might, uh, I mean, obviously, you know more about this than I do, but cul uh, you sac know, just launched or just kind of came out of stealth mode today, which is this city that is go- – or neighborhood city that's going to be built in Tempe, Arizona, which is, just so everyone knows, is literally 10 miles south of where I live which is pretty exciting. But they just kind of announced this out of the blue. And now I'm thinking about where do I want to live, you know, in in fall of 2020, I want to live there. So I'm kind of curious, like almost to get your advice, how should I think about moving to is I mean, is this a charter city? Is it a city? Is it like, is are these going to be more common buildings like cities within cities? I'm curious just how you think about this cul-de-sac thing.
1: Sure. So I wouldn't call it a charter city. I don't think they're pushing any type of um, legal and regulatory reform. So that's the key that we look at for charter cities, basically substantial legal reforms that can improve the business environment. Um, within um, it's my understanding is that they're building 4,000 people. So what I I, 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 I right? like, I'm not sure I'd call that a city. I would call that a, a right, like really cool um, neighborhood that I think would be a very nice place to live. I like walkable streets. Um, I, I, I suspect that they're going to become more common. I mean, one, I think sac is is run by some very good people. I think they're very competent, so I think they're going to grow pretty rapidly and try to build a lot of these. And then, two, if we, you look at the trends that they're tapping into, um, I mean, San Francisco, for example, proposed a few months ago to, I believe it was Market Street, turn like two miles of Market Street into a walkable area to ban cars on that. We're, we're seeing this move away from cars. Um, towards more walkable streets, towards this more, I don't know, pedestrian-friendly environment that, in my opinion, is generally a good move. I think if we look at like, how cars um, influence city behavior just from, um, right, from cars themselves, which basically have a lot of free real estate in terms of parking in cities, to how they make lots, like, parts of cities unwalkable and are sort of antagonistic to pedestrians, to how the existence of cars have led to these massive highways that have often gone through um, low-income, typically minority neighborhoods that have really destroyed the neighborhoods and caused these um, negative long-term consequences. I think moving towards this um, more walkable human-centric environment is good. I suspect we'll continue to see that, Um, and I think making sure that that, um, right, like uh, is 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 plugged in the, the challenge is making sure that there's still access to the existing labor markets. So right cities are basically large labor markets the productivity of people increases in cities because they have access to all of this other talent And so they can become more specialized and so making sure that we get these communities that still allow this access to these broader um, environments to to become um, productive citizens uh, is important
0: Got it so you said there are a lot, you know, not just one charter city, there, there's several charter cities around the world. I'd be intrigued to hear about one that I don't necessarily want to ask for your favorite ones. I'm sure you like a lot of them, but like one that kind of sticks out to you. And if you can explain kind of the name of the charter city and what about it sticks out, I'd love to hear about one specific city.
1: Sure. So I wouldn't say these are charter cities yet. These are might be called charter cities projects. Um, so the first one is in Zambia the CEO reached out to me almost three years ago now it's called Nkwashi. Um so it's about 30 40 minutes outside of the capital outside of the central business district of Lusaka capital of Zambia it's on 12 square kilometers it's being built for hundred thousand residents they're turning into university town they're um, sorry university uh, this spring and what they're right looking to do is basically to create this knowledge center um, and we're currently um, negotiating with the the Zambian government, the Zambian Development Agency for a memorandum of understanding to look at what administrative steps could be taken to make it the Nkwashi uh, as well as other areas more conducive places um, to do business so we um um, that, that, that's a project I'm really excited about. The first people are moving in this year. We went there about a year ago and then six months ago, and it was really cool to see all of the progress that was happening. Um, and so uh, that, that, that's one that's, that, that's quite interesting though. Unfortunately, the, the um, legal regime has been a little bit slower than we had um, originally hoped. And then another another project that they, they won our Charter Cities Business Plan Contest is called Enimba Economic City. So we had a Charter Cities Business Plan Contest that we announced the winners about a month ago. And the first place was um, Enyimba yeah, Economic City. It's 95 square kilometers being built for 1.5 million residents um, in Nigeria, that the scale of it is just amazing. Um, and so it's also run by a very good team. Um, they're finalizing they're, they're, they're um, they they uh, finalizing. Uh, so so that th- that project is is quite good. They already have special economic zone status, um, which allows for a little bit more um, sort of freedom in figuring out how to make a um, make it a better business environment.
0: Got it. Uh, that's um yeah. I, I was reading about. Um, I, I, apologies how do you pr- how can you pronounce in, in in what in washi can you pronounce that the first one that you mentioned again in kwashi in kwashi yeah i was reading about in kwashi on uh, your website and i'm looking at the renderings and just like what what it looks like and it, it's fascinating that these are being built around the world I, i'm kind of interested to hear uh kind of shifting our focus a little more towards the future what does char- what do charter cities mean for the future. I'm actually going to leave it there. What, what do these charter cities mean for the future and what's going to change in, in you know, a decade or two because of these charter cities being built now?
1: Yeah. So what we hope is basically that these can be a vehicle for policy reforms that alleviate poverty. And so countries often are unable or unwilling to pass reforms that can right, create institutions that generate wealth. And so the question is, right, how do you get around these roadblocks? And the idea of a charter city is by focusing on a limited residential area, it's possible to get deeper reforms than otherwise possible and, right, to create institutions that generate wealth. So what we're hoping to do is that these charter cities over the next 50 years that we help um, create the legal systems for can generate like one to three percentage point higher growth than the host country, which over this 50-year period, right because birth compounds ends up leading to huge differences so we saw in right Singapore Shenzhen Hong Kong Dubai in two or three generations they all became very wealthy world-class cities we think this is replicable in emerging markets around the world if we get all right charter cities the governance framework set up right and so that's that's really the key the second order effect that we hope to happen is that this can show the rest of the country that hey, these reforms work and they're adopted on a wider scale. So if we look at China, they saw they saw Hong Kong, they were like Hong Kong's getting rich, they're Chinese, we're Chinese, what's going on here? And that's part of the inspiration for Shenzhen. And then Shenzhen was successful and those reforms spread throughout the country. It lifted about 800 million people out of poverty. Um, and so we're hoping that right Africa is too far away. So they see, they see Hong Kong, they see Shenzhen, they don't, it, it, the cultural distance is a little bit too high for it to click. But what we think is you get one, two, maybe three success stories in Africa, and they see, oh, that's going really well, right? Like if you're Tanzania and you see Zambia, you're like, Zambia is not far enough. We can do this better. So then they start one. And, and right, you see that sort of mechanism hopefully spread that allows for a lot of these charter cities to be built, to be developed. That can help shift the narrative, generate economic growth, and 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 this tends to move people out of poverty.
0: That's interesting. So it's a one of the primary goals or potential outcomes of charter cities is alleviating poverty. Uh, that's powerful. That's super powerful. Uh, I, I'm going to ask a hypothetical question, and it might be totally off base, but I'm just kind of curious to hear hear what you think um, if. Someone, let's say San Francisco was, was 10 times bigger and all the areas in San Francisco were gigantic. Um, and uh, uh, someone said, you know what? We're going to put a charter city in the tenderloin and we're going to find the, the highest potential, like the people that like that can be we're going to find a certain amount of people in the tenderloin put them in the charter city and and and, and build something there is is that is, can you also alleviate poverty in that type of environment or how does it, how does that work in areas of the states that are not doing too hot
1: i'm i that's i mean so that's a tricky question what what we're we're focusing on emerging markets primarily because there's a lot of urbanization happening so people are moving to cities and second, because um, it tends to be a little bit easier to get political buy-in in emerging markets than in high-income countries. The U.S., I think, is unlikely to pass substantial um, reforms to allow local areas. And even if the U.S. did, right, if we're talking about a lot of low-income countries, you get good institutions. You might have 20 exchanges in income, right, going from $1,000 to $20,000. Um, in the U.S., if you get the best institutions, you're really optimistic, then you might get a 2x change in income. Which, right, it's a lot, but like two versus 20, it's an order of magnitude difference. Um, I still think that charter cities could be used to help alleviate some of the, 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 the state challenges. So, I wouldn't really focus on charter cities per se. If we look at San Francisco, one of the challenges is high housing costs. So, how does this fix, right? Like, legalize housing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a yimpy. Right. Like if you build a lot more houses, the houses will be less expensive. And some of the homeless people will then have high enough incomes to go live in houses. Um, uh, Second, what you want to do is and I'm not I'm not an expert on on any of this per se, but right, like make sure that you provide good like mental health services, good good services to homeless people and potentially homeless people to decrease the funnel of homeless people. So if there are people who. Um, might be on the, the verge of being homeless right like figure out uh, programs that are able to help them and the the, the the challenge is right you want this strong feedback loop from the body making decisions to the body that um, to the the, uh, the people being governed the governing body to the people being governed so that when the governing body benefits from making good decisions and the people being governed the challenge is at least in um some u.s cities that sort of feedback loop has been broken so in san francisco it's basically been captured by this homeowning right like elite who have seen their value of their homes go up by hundred thousand dollars every year over the last 10 years and they've basically captured the city government and because they've captured it have prevented new homes from getting built as well as um sort of see the the tech industry as the cause of the problem and so I've adopted several anti-tech regulations um, that make it harder to start companies recently. There was like a office of new technology where if you start a new technology like Uber or Airbnb, then you have to go get it approved. So you, 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 you wanna make sure that right, the governing body has interests aligned with the, the people being governed. And oftentimes in modern America, that, that sort of relationship has um, broken down a little bit. And I'm not sure the the charter city, I'm not sure is the right way to fix it per se, but um, it can, there are some analogies in terms of thinking about like what some of the reforms might look like that would make some of these places better to live.
0: Yeah, that's uh that makes a lot of sense. And I'm learning, I'm learning as we're going on, on how all of this works. And it is so fascinating to kind of getting close to rounding out the conversation. I have a couple more questions for you. So you it seems like charter cities are a newer kind of uh, wave yeah, they're, they're growing they're growing you know, and I'm kind of curious if there was someone looking to get involved in charter cities they 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 are listening to this they're just intrigued um how can they like what's the best way for someone to get involved in a initiative or in a city or in an organization like yours like what's the first step there
1: um i mean the the first step i think is just to like familiarize yourself with the space and so to do that all right uh, follow us on twitter cci.city on facebook charter cities institute Um, but more generally right i think it's a very good space to be in because it's the the very early stages of a space that's going to be huge and so i think this was eric schmidt's quote he told it to like cheryl sandberg uh, when somebody asks you to get on a rocket ship, don't ask what seat you're going on, just get on. Um, and I see the charter city space as a, as a potential rocket ship, right? It's solving a huge problem. Um, there's immense amount of wealth to be created. There's immense amount of value to be created. Um, and so after that, I would ask, right, what are your specific skills? And this is a little bit challenging because a lot of the charter cities are being, right, they're being built in emerging markets, Which can make it uh, difficult for people with, um, right, like um, Western who live in Western countries to get involved, um, because right they're not being built there, they don't have the connections there, et cetera, et cetera. So right, what what sort of we're thinking about as we're hiring and, and staffing up is thinking about people with international development. Experience, people who can help draft the charter cities charter, the charter cities legislation, people who can help implement that, people with um um, right like project management experience who can help like make these decisions help implement them, things with people with fundraising experience. There's also investment opportunities. Um some of the charter cities are raising money now or will be soon in the future that need to be capitalized. And there isn't a like typical standard capital model for these. I've seen projects go with. Uh, pension funds. I've seen projects um, uh, do do development things. I've seen projects do pre-sales. So there is the opportunity to right, like start creating capital streams for these projects. There's the opportunity to lead projects. There's the opportunity to do potentially sales to do some of the the technology um, products are related with uh, charter cities. So uh, there's a, a whole wealth of opportunities. I'm, I'm, I'm typically happy to answer emails if you want to email me and ask questions about what those opportunities might be. It's, um, well, I'll leave this as a, list, uh, as, a, as a filtering mechanism for the listeners. My email is publicly available, but you have to go find it if you actually want me to answer your questions.
0: <laughs> I like that. I feel like uh, there is a, the, the, the people that know how to just find emails, uh, you know, they just have, they, they, they have the tools, are always just, a, you can tell they're like a little more techy or craftier, uh, a little bit more of a hustler. Um, because a lot, almost anyone's email is available if you, if you, if you just look and use tools. Um, cool. Well, I have one more question for you before we wrap it up. This is a new type of question that I ask, but I, I've done it for the last couple of guests, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. So I'm going to ask you. What you're doing is is innovative and it's new and it's probably hard and and oftentimes when you're starting something new, sometimes you need a little help. Whether it's you know spreading the word about something or or, or referring a, you know a customer or a potential hiree. So my question for you is, and you can take some time to think if you want, or you can answer on the spot. But how can I and or the forward-thinking founder community? Help you? Uh, do you have an ask that you have for people that are listening um, that could help you move the needle just a little bit? Um, and if if you do, uh, love to hear it so we can so we can help as a community.
1: Sure. So um, I mean, the ask is basically uh, I think the donations. Um, we are a nonprofit, a 501c3. It's tax deductible. Our budget last year was around five hundred thousand dollars. Um, I think we are very cost effective. I think we compare relatively favorably to organizations like GiveWell. Um, um, They're they're top organizations. So if you're interested in alleviating global poverty, um, I think that's that's a a high value add. Um, Second is uh, just in terms of like signal boosting. I mean, being on this podcast is super helpful, right? This is, like I said, we're trying to build a social movement. So getting people aware, following us on Twitter, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, um, getting people to engage your content, to share it with our friends. Um, if people listening are organizing conferences, like we we love speaking at events, um, so just really helping to um, spread the message. And then if you do work in interaction development or you have some of the skills that I, I previously mentioned, um, right, happy to um, uh, like give you advice on on potentially getting more involved in the space and 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 what that would look like
0: all right you all heard it there so if any of that kind of aligns with you you know you know the email or you at least you have to find it uh and then you'll know the email um well thank you so much for coming on to the podcast i this is honestly fascinating stuff this is a whole nother world that i again only dove into as of a few weeks ago when i discovered you and I just uh, I think it's awesome. So I appreciate you taking some time and sharing about what you're working on on the podcast. And um, I hope all the all the success in the world for for all these charger cities.
1: Great. Thanks for having me.